Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Opinion Line. Corks 96 FM. So let's catch up once again. Uh, with Queensland, Australia, where they haven't had COVID for ages and they're heading into high summer, you can go back to the pub and back to a match and back... Oh, it's feel very, very jealous of our friend Dr. Niall Conroy. Niall, good to talk to you again. And I know that since we spoke the last time, I've been reading your tweets on the show and I know that you, you follow us now. We're gone into this six-week level five. Realistically, did we have an option, I suppose, is my first question. Hi, PJ. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Um, good question. I, I I don't think we did. Um, so Ireland now, you know, watching from afar is up to sort of you know, a thousand, thousand plus cases a day. And I know it dropped a little bit in the last day or two, but you know, that that's your ballpark. And really, um, when you get to that stage, you know, that level of disease, you, you don't have an option other than to, to, to go into lockdown um, or, you know, what we call in public health, impose some population level restrictions. Um, all the stuff that, that people talk about, you know, in terms of the public health response, all the, the contact tracing, test trace, isolate, whatever you want to call it. Um, it, it was never designed for a thousand cases of anything a day. We, we, we've been doing this stuff for years. Um, you, you know, I've been doing it for non, non-COVID stuff this weekend at work, you know, for, 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 for 20, 30 people. It, it, it was never designed um, for, from, for use at sort of a thousand, um, a thousand cases a day. So these population never worked these population level restrictions work very well and the point of them would be to get the cases back down to where you can manage and your contact tracing system isn't getting overwhelmed and your public health units aren't getting overwhelmed so yeah i i don't see um any option pj other than i don't see that they had any other option than um you know than, than going to level five or something similar you can appreciate, I suppose, the business community and people who've lost their jobs temporarily and some of them won't won't get those jobs back. At the end of the day, is it health before wealth or do you have to put the two into a into a balancing act? Yeah, you've you've gotta balance them and God PJ, I've I've put people into quarantine who were, were small business owners. Um when when you just knew that that was going to be you know, an absolute disaster for them. In public health doctors are by our nature. You know, we look at the health of the population and all of the things that affect your health, including, you know, the, the economics of that. And we're very well aware of that, very cognizant of that. And there isn't, there isn't a public health doctor in Ireland that I speak to who isn't just, you know, desperately sad for all the, the economic fallout here. Um, but it, there's, there's no good, there's no good 
sort of economic win here quickly. Um, you have the virus go uncontrolled, and we, we know from outbreaks around the world that when you get to a point um, of just letting the virus run loose, like say, for example, you don't impose a lockdown, then actually, you know, people, people are very good at self-preservation. And what would ultimately happen in a week or two would be people would start to to self-isolate themselves and not go to the shops and not socialise and the whole lot, you know. So whether you have a lockdown or not, um, you know, people are people are going to be less social. But the, the, the reality is, or so we're told, and I, I'm not an economist, I wouldn't, wouldn't dream of trying to talk economics, but I suppose what the, the economics people tell us is that the best way to return to some kind of economic normality is to, you know, is to get levels of, of the virus doing it down. And certainly what, what I'm always saying is that here in Queensland, where we have no COVID at the moment, um, economic activity is, is back to, to almost normal. Of course, we don't have overseas um, visitors, but, you know, restaurants are buzzing, bars are buzzing, there are shows on, you know, you can go to, go to the football, you can go to a stadium, that, that kind of thing, you know. So, I, I, you know, I think it's a difficult situation. There's no easy win, but letting the virus kind of run free, if you will, is not going to be conducive to, to any level of, of sort of um, predictable economic activity, to, to my mind anyway. Coming back to the months of June and July, and as I compare the figures, as I often do on the show, uh, to where we are now and where we were then, we pretty much had it licked in this country coming into early June. There's a school of thought out there now that says Leo Varadkar came out of it too fast, got overexcited and came out of it too fast, and that that's partly the reason why uh, we are where we are. Yeah, and... If he did, um, he wouldn't be the only one. This has been a this has been a, a pattern globally that that lockdowns really take it out of a population. And as soon as they see evidence that things are improving, that there's an awful lot of political pressure and um, a pressure from the public to to, to ease that. I, I, and you actually see a lot of countries would would look back in hindsight and say they may have come out of things, they may have come out of a lockdown too soon. Classically, what you would do before you would. Um, before you would move from one step to another is to have your cases sort of stabilized for around 28 days and um, to, to sort of to make sure that, that that you're stable at one level before you move to another and you would move to it you would move levels very very slowly and um you know i, I think a lot of governments didn't didn't do that but the, the plan i think now is to you know is to not um move too quickly. I think the plan, if I understand it correctly in Ireland, is to move from level five to level three, um, you know, at, at the end of this six weeks. But I suppose that the question I, I always ask about lockdowns is, what are you doing in the meantime? So lockdowns, by the very nature, can be predicted. So any public health doctor in Ireland would have told you back in June or July that when you ease restrictions, you haven't changed any of the sort of the underlying conditions for the virus to, you know, to replicate. You've just got less of it. But, you know, as people move around more, the virus will multiply and, and you, you'll, you'll get another spike and you'll need another lockdown. And that's what that's what's happening here. You know, you're into a world of recurring lockdowns. And, you know, you, you have to think about what you're doing in the meantime to once the cases get low enough, that the public health units, the contact tracing teams, that kind of thing can can start to exert some kind of control. Are they resourced to do that relentlessly? Because it doesn't work in half measures. It needs to be absolutely 
relentless, you know, and can they do that on a sustained basis for months and months and months? And um, that would be my question, I suppose, is what are we doing in the meantime to keep them as low? You won't keep, let's be clear, you won't get them down to sort of, you know, 40 or 50 cases a day or 60 or 70 or whatever and keep them at that. They will, they will come back up. That's the nature of this, this type of virus. It's how long you can keep it suppressed for. You know, do, do you, are you going to keep it suppressed until January or February, or is it going to be April or May? Um, until you sort of, while you're choosing to live with the virus, you have to accept there will be, there will be spikes. And it's how long you have between spikes is the key. And you've, you've really got to start resourcing public health units, resourcing contact tracing teams, resourcing the labs to test people. All these things have to happen. And I'm not on the ground in Ireland, so um, hard to know what's happening. But certainly from my public health unit colleagues, it doesn't feel like they're drowning in resources in the way that they, they really should be as in, in preparation to come out of a lockdown. Yeah, you've been talking about that a lot on your social media, Niall, about how our is it eight regional units we have in this country, understaffed and under-resourced and not able to do the kind of localised stuff that you would do in Queensland. Yeah, it's it's depressing to watch, and you know, it's not a not a political thing. This has been this has been the same under every government for the last twenty years. That the um, the, you know, what, what happens in Ireland when you when you qualify as a specialist in anything, you get a consultant contract and all the authority and the team and everything that comes with that. Um, uniquely for public health, for some reason that nobody can explain, um, they decided that when you qualify as a specialist in public health medicine, they said, well, you can't have a consultant contract. You can have this sort of other contract we've made up just for you, which doesn't come with the authority and the sort of the autonomy. It doesn't give you the team that you need to manage these outbreaks. Like in Ireland, I wouldn't have a team if I worked there. Over here, I have a team of 16 people. And PJ, I need them, you know, and I have a lot less COVID to deal with here than in Ireland. And there have been times when you know, me and the team have been absolutely run ragged. So I don't know how the guys in Ireland are doing it. Like people like me went abroad not for more money. It was the ability to do my job properly, to, to have that that authority and autonomy and the team to, to do what I need to do. These are literally the country's top experts in outbreak control. They, they manage outbreaks for a living. I don't know if people sort of understand that or know that in their regions, they have these public health units dotted around Ireland and they manage outbreaks of meningitis, whooping cough, you know, you name it, whatever, um, in challenging situations all the time and, you know, homeless shelters, and schools, places like that, really difficult situations. And these guys are the experts in outbreak control. And, um, you know, outbreak control doctors like me, public health doctors are, are given the sort of authority and the autonomy and everything else that we need in other countries like Australia and New Zealand, but it just hasn't happened in Ireland yet. And I, I think it's just a, I, 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 would, I would say to be fair, I think, um, you know, Stephen Donnelly wants to do it, but whatever about the bureaucratic processes that, you know, the wheels turn slowly, but, you know, they, they, they need to sort that out nine months into a pandemic. It's, it's too slow. There's this constant claim that, oh, you couldn't do Ireland what they did in Queensland or the rest of Australia. You couldn't do what they did in New Zealand. That's just not possible because we have, they throw up the northern border. They say we can't put people into hotels. We could do all those things here. I think that's your firm belief. Yeah, uh, what I would say is there, there are two elements to this. There's the 
the sort of the public health disease control element. And there is no question, and there, there can be no question, that if you put a virus within a border and, you know, you control that border um, and you aggressively go for it, there's no question um, that you can't you can't eliminate it. So pe- people are saying it's impossible, it's impossible, can't be done. From from a disease control perspective, they're wrong. And and, and no public health doctor would tell you any differently. Within a, within a, a sort of a, an enclosed border, you can chase down a virus like this and you can eliminate it. The issue is, of course, new cases come in all the time. There was a very good paper this week by by um, some of the, the public health doctors in Cork actually showing, um, talking about aeroplane transmission into Ireland. I think one case seeded another 60 cases. Um, There's this big problem, you know, um, imported cases. So you, you need to look at um, border controls. Now, I, I think when people say it's, it's impossible, I, I, I get where they're coming from. I, I really do. It's it's the political side of it. So the disease control perspective, you can do it, no question. Um, from a political perspective, can you do it? What I would expect to see if I were living in Ireland and I, and, and I knew that technically this, this could be done, I, I would want to see some some obvious efforts and negotiations with, with, with politicians in the north and on the mainland UK trying to see is this is this something we can come to an agreement on the sort of idea that no we just can't do it is, is a little defeatist and, and I get normally these sort of cross-border things I get how messy it is and how awful it is and I know people always call me naive for thinking we could come to a solution but even if we couldn't could we could, could we try you know can we talk to people up the north we talk to people in the UK. Can we talk to our European colleagues? If we did this, would it work? If we did that, would it work? And you know, but look, that, that's that's my opinion, PJ. I'm not I'm not in charge. Coming back, I suppose, to the the, the problem at hand, which is we are now in level five. We're supposed to come out of it, I think, five weeks Wednesday. What mistakes must we not make? when we come out of it. And of course, the big temptation is we'll be coming out of it two and a half weeks to Christmas. What mistakes must not be made? Well, it's about what you have to do rather than what you don't have to do. And what you have to do is be absolutely, absolutely relentless. Once you've got your cases down to whatever, I I don't know what the aim is um, or or whether there is an, an aim in terms of number of cases a day or percentage reduction. I think Tony Holohan said last week that if we can get down to between 50 and 100 cases a day, that will have achieved what they set out to achieve for the five, six weeks. Yeah, fair enough. And let's, you know, let's sort of say that it's, it's somewhere in between that 70, you know, then we, we, we know internationally that even the best sort of systems uh, only find about a third of their cases. So let's say you get down to 70. That assumes you have about 200 um, now, we, we we know that roughly when we look at the spread of this thing, that people spread it to two other people, you know. Um, so very quickly, 200 can turn to 400 to 800. You, you can end up where you are, back, back, back where we are now very quickly. So what you have to do is you have to absolutely hammer this thing. First of all, you have to find all the cases. And and, and that's that's challenging. I, 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 I do feel sorry for for the guys at home, because the way to find all the cases is to test as many people as possible. But the, the testing system is sort of at its limits. And, you know, globally, the people who do these tests are so highly qualified, it's not easy to just get 
pulled them out of, uh, out of thin air and the reagents and everything are a, such a premium. It's difficult, but you have to test people to find them. And when you find them, you have to be relentless. Like what we do in Australia is if you're a case, we, we quarantine you and it's a legal thing. And we, we quarantine your close contacts. And that's a legal thing. That's not, we'd like you to restrict your movements or whatever phrase. That's, you must quarantine. And we've, we've built up a very good sort of support service around that. But I really like, and it's really been helpful in keeping some kind of control over um, cases and their contacts. For example, um, we, we would call, you're in quarantine if you're close contact and you're stuck at home and it's, you know, it's, it's an offense to go out unless you need medical care or something. But we will ring you every day and make sure you've got groceries. We provide psychological support if, you know, if, you, if, you're, if you're struggling with the isolation. We'll, we'll provide a, a GP to your house if you have a bad back. You, you know, we, we, we support people in that space, but we're very strict on that. And, and we're really relentless. And, and the other thing we do is we hunt down all of the contacts. I hear a lot of European countries talking about, well, we, we have our cases and we, we manage to contact trace 75, 85% of, of, of their, their contacts. We would, I mean, trying to think back, we, we would nearly always get 100%. We would be absolutely relentless in finding all their contacts because that one person you miss could have COVID, pass it on to two more people who become four, who become eight, 16, 32. You can see where it's going. And we regard any contact as a potential new chain of transmission. And a chain of transmission is bad news because they get very big very quickly. So I, I think you've, you, you've got to be relentless in, in chasing down cases on their contacts. I think that's the lesson we've learned. Now, as always, uh, thank you for your insight. We're we're quite jealous of you there in Queensland, facing into to normal times. Okay, with the borders closed, you are facing into a very normal Christmas. Is there a risk involved in in, in returning to the normality? Yeah, um, I I was I was on local radio here this morning asking more people to get tested because our testing numbers have dropped, and my concern is that we'll we'll get a case sort of like New Zealand did that sort of came out of nowhere. You know, that's always a risk. And if you get a case that comes in and, you know, comes out of nowhere and you're not expecting it, those transmission chains get very, very big before you, um, before you identify it. And it's my biggest concern. It's what keeps me awake at night. So, so it's basically the solution to that is to keep people sort of um, reminded of that risk and to keep pushing people to get tested. Even when people think levels are low, it's all about testing people who have sort of cold or flu symptoms. And if you can test enough people while your levels are low, then even if you've missed some cases or some cases you didn't know where they were, by jumping on them when they're in the second or third or fourth person in that transmission chain, rather than in the 50th person when you've got a real problem on your hands. So yeah, testing, um, and, and access to testing, especially amongst vulnerable populations where, where this virus tends to circulate for ages undetected. Um, access to testing and plentiful testing is key when you have low levels. That's one of the key ways of keeping it low. Always good to talk to you and uh, thanks for talking to me today. The pleasure, PJ. Thank you. That's Dr. Niall Conroy speaking to us from Queensland. Corks 96 FM.